Part two of Chirp the Second of The Cricket on the Hearth by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In the meantime, there had been a pretty sharp commotion at John Peerybingle's, for little Mrs. Peerybingle naturally couldn't think of going anywhere without the baby, and to get the baby under way took time. Not that there was much of the baby, speaking of it as a thing of weight and measure but there was a vast deal to do about and about it and it all had to be done by easy stages for instance when the baby was got by hook and by crook to a certain point of dressing and you might have rationally supposed that another touch or two would finish him off and turn him out a tip-top baby challenging the world he was unexpectedly extinguished in a flannel cap and hustled off to bed where he simmered so to speak between two blankets for the best part of an hour from this state of inaction he was then recalled shining very much and roaring violently to partake of well i would rather say if you'll permit me to speak generally of a slight repast after which he went to sleep again Mrs. Peerybingle took advantage of this interval to make herself as smart in a small way as ever you saw anybody in all your life, and during the same short truce Miss Slowboy insinuated herself into a spencer of a fashion so surprising and ingenious that it had no connection with herself or anything else in the universe, but was a shrunken, dogs-eared, independent fact pursuing its lonely course without the least regard to anybody by this time the baby being all alive again was invested by the united efforts of mrs peerybingle and miss slowboy with a cream-coloured mantle for its body and a sort of nankeen raised pie for its head and so in course of time they all three got down to the door where the old horse had already taken more than the full value of his day's toll out of the turnpike trust by tearing up the road with his impatient autographs and whence boxer might be dimly seen in the remote perspective standing looking back and tempting him to come on without orders as to a chair or anything of that kind for helping mrs peerybingle into the cart you know very little of john i flatter myself if you think that was necessary before you could have seen him lift her from the ground there she was in her place fresh and rosy saying john how can you think of tilly if i might be allowed to mention a young lady's legs on any terms i would observe of miss slowboy's that there was a fatality about them which rendered them singularly liable to be grazed and that she never effected the smallest ascent or descent without recording the circumstance upon them with a notch as robinson crusoe marked the days upon his wooden calendar but as this might be considered ungenteel i'll think of it john you've got the basket with the veal and ham pie and things and the bottles of beer said dot if you haven't you must turn round again this very minute you're a nice little article returned the carrier to be talking about turning round after keeping me a full quarter of an hour behind my time i'm sorry for it john said dot in a great bustle but i really could not think of going to bertha's 
i wouldn't do it john on any account without the veal and ham pie and things and the bottles of beer way this monosyllable was addressed to the horse who didn't mind it at all oh do way john said mrs peerybingle please it'll be time enough to do that returned john when i begin to leave things behind me the basket's here safe enough what a hard-hearted monster you must be john not to have said so at once and saved me such a turn i declare i wouldn't go to bertha's without the veal and ham pie and things and the bottles of beer for any money regularly once a fortnight ever since we have been married john have we made our little picnic there if anything was to go wrong with it i should almost think we were never to be lucky again it was a kind thought in the first instance said the carrier and i honour you for it little woman my dear john replied dot turning very red don't talk about honouring me good gracious by the by observed the carrier that old gentleman again so visibly and instantly embarrassed he's an odd fish said the carrier looking straight along the road before them i can't make him out i don't believe there's any harm in him none at all i'm i'm sure there's none at all yes said the carrier with his eyes attracted to her face by the great earnestness of her manner i am glad you feel so certain of it because it's a confirmation to me it's curious that he should have taken it into his head to ask leave to go on lodging with us ain't it things come about so strangely so very strangely she rejoined in a low voice scarcely audible however he's a good-natured old gentleman said john and pays as a gentleman and i think his word is to be relied upon like a gentleman's i had quite a long talk with him this morning he can hear me better already he says as he gets more used to my voice he told me a great deal about himself and i told him a good deal about myself and a rare lot of questions he asked me i gave him information about my having two beats you know in my business one day to the right from our house and back again another day to the left from our house and back again for he's a stranger and don't know the names of places about here and he seemed quite pleased why then i shall be returning home to-night your way he says when i thought you'd be coming in an exactly opposite direction that's capital i may trouble you for another lift perhaps but i'll engage not to fall so sound asleep again he was sound asleep surely dot what are you thinking of thinking of john i-i was listening to you oh that's all right said the honest carrier i was afraid from the look of your face that i had gone rambling on so long as to set you thinking about something else i was very near it i'll be bound dot making no reply they jogged on for some little time in silence but it was not easy to remain silent very long in john peerybingle's cart for everybody on the road had something to say and though it might only be how are you and indeed it was very often nothing else 
still to give that back again in the right spirit of cordiality required not merely a nod and a smile but as wholesome an action of the lungs withal as a long-winded parliamentary speech sometimes passengers on foot or horseback plodded on a little way beside the cart for the express purpose of having a chat and then there was a great deal to be said on both sides then boxer gave occasion to more good-natured recognitions of and by the carrier than half a dozen christians could have done everybody knew him all along the road especially the fowls and pigs who when they saw him approaching with his body all on one side and his ears pricked up inquisitively and that knob of a tail making the most of itself in the air immediately withdrew into remote back settlements without waiting for the honour of a nearer acquaintance he had business everywhere going down all the turnings looking into all the wells bolting in and out of all the cottages dashing into the midst of all the dame schools fluttering all the pigeons magnifying the tails of all the cats and trotting into the public houses like a regular customer wherever he went somebody or other might have been heard to cry hello here's boxer and out came that somebody forthwith accompanied by at least two or three other somebodies to give john peerybingle and his pretty wife good day the packages and parcels for the errand cart were numerous and there were many stoppages to take them in and give them out which were not by any means the worst parts of the journey some people were so full of expectation about their parcels and other people were so full of wonder about their parcels and other people were so full of inexhaustible directions about their parcels and john had such a lively interest in all the parcels that it was as good as a play likewise there were articles to carry which required to be considered and discussed and in reference to the adjustment and disposition of which councils had to be holden by the carrier and the senders at which boxer usually assisted in short fits of the closest attention and long fits of tearing round and round the assembled sages and barking himself hoarse of all these little incidents dot was the amused and open-eyed spectatress from her chair in the cart and as she sat there looking on a charming little portrait framed to admiration by the tilt there was no lack of nudgings and glancings and whisperings and envyings among the younger men i promise you and this delighted john the carrier beyond measure for he was proud to have his little wife admired knowing that she didn't mind it that if anything she rather liked it perhaps the trip was a little foggy to be sure in the january weather and was raw and cold but who cared for such trifles not dot decidedly not tilly slowboy for she deemed sitting in a cart on any terms to be the highest point of human joys the crowning circumstance of earthly hopes not the baby i'll be sworn for it's not in baby nature to be warmer or more sound asleep though its capacity is great in both respects than that blessed young peerybingle was all the way you couldn't see very far in the fog of course but you could see a great deal oh a great deal it's astonishing how much you may see in a thicker fog than that if you will only take the trouble to look for it 
why even to sit watching for the fairy rings in the fields and for the patches of hoar-frost still lingering in the shade near hedges and by trees was a pleasant occupation to make no mention of the unexpected shapes in which the trees themselves came starting out of the mist and glided into it again the hedges were tangled and bare and waved a multitude of blighted garlands in the wind but there was no discouragement in this it was agreeable to contemplate for it made the fireside warmer in possession and the summer greener in expectancy the river looked chilly but it was in motion and moving at a good pace which was a great point the canal was rather slow and torpid that must be admitted never mind it would freeze the sooner when the frost set fairly in and then there would be skating and sliding and the heavy old barges frozen up somewhere near a wharf would smoke their rusty iron chimney-pipes all day and have a lazy time of it in one place there was a great mound of weeds or stubble burning and they watched the fire so white in the daytime flaring through the fog with only here and there a dash of red in it until in consequence as she observed of the smoke getting up her nose miss slowboy choked she could do anything of that sort on the smallest provocation and woke the baby who wouldn't go to sleep again but boxer who was in advance some quarter of a mile or so had already passed the outposts of the town and gained the corner of the street where caleb and his daughter lived and long before they reached the door he and the blind girl were on the pavement waiting to receive them boxer by the way made certain delicate distinctions of his own in his communication with bertha which persuade me fully that he knew her to be blind he never sought to attract her attention by looking at her as he often did with other people but touched her invariably what experience he could ever have had of blind people or blind dogs i don't know he had never lived with a blind master nor had mr boxer the elder nor mrs boxer nor any of his respectable family on either side ever been visited with blindness that i am aware of he may have found it out for himself perhaps but he had got hold of it somehow and therefore he had hold of bertha too by the skirt and kept hold until mrs peerybingle and the baby and miss slowboy and the basket were all got safely within doors may fielding was already come and so was her mother a little querulous chip of an old lady with a peevish face who in right of having preserved a waist like a bedpost was supposed to be a most transcendent figure and who in consequence of having once been better off or of labouring under an impression that she might have been if something had happened which never did happen and seemed to have never been particularly likely to come to pass but it's all the same was very genteel and patronising indeed gruff and tackleton was also there doing the agreeable with the evident sensation of being as perfectly at home and as unquestionably in his own element as a fresh young salmon on the top of the great pyramid may my dear old friend cried dot running up to meet her what a happiness to see you her old friend was to the full as hearty and as glad as she and it really was if you'll believe me quite a pleasant sight to see them embrace 
Tackleton was a man of taste beyond all question. May was very pretty. You know sometimes, when you are used to a pretty face, how, when it comes into contact and in comparison with another pretty face, it seems for the moment to be homely and faded, and hardly to deserve the high opinion you have had of it. Now, this was not at all the case, either with Dot or May, for May's face set off Dot's, and Dot's face set off May's, so naturally and agreeably, that, as John Peerybingle was very near saying when he came into the room, they ought to have been born sisters, which was the only improvement you could have suggested. Tackleton had brought his leg of mutton, and, wonderful to relate, a tart besides. But we don't mind a little dissipation when our brides are in the case. We don't get married every day. And in addition to these dainties, there were the veal and ham pie, and things, as Mrs. Peerybingle called them, which were chiefly nuts and oranges and cakes and such small beer. When the repast was set forth on the board, flanked by Caleb's contribution, which was a great wooden bowl of smoking potatoes, he was prohibited by solemn compact from producing any other viands, Tackleton led his intended mother-in-law to the post of honour. For the better gracing of this place at the high festival, the majestic old soul had adorned herself with a cap, calculated to inspire the thoughtless with sentiments of awe. She also wore her gloves. But let us be genteel or die. Caleb sat next to his daughter. Dot and her old schoolfellow were side by side. The good carrier took care of the bottom of the table. Miss Slowboy was isolated for the time being from every article of furniture but the chair she sat on, that she might have nothing else to knock the baby's head against. As Tilly stared about her at the dolls and toys, they stared at her and at the company. The venerable old gentlemen at the street doors, who were all in full action, showed a special interest in the party, pausing occasionally before leaping as if they were listening to the conversation, and then plunging wildly over and over a great many times without halting for breath, as in a frantic state of delight with the whole proceedings. Certainly, if these old gentlemen were inclined to have a fiendish joy in the contemplation of Tackleton's discomfiture, they had good reason to be satisfied. Tackleton couldn't get on at all, and the more cheerful his intended bride became in Dot's society, the less he liked it, though he had brought them together for that purpose. For he was a regular dog in the manger, was Tackleton and when they laughed and he couldn't, he took it into his head immediately that they must be laughing at him. "'Ah, oh, May!' said Dot. "'Dear, dear, what changes! To talk of those merry school days makes one young again.' "'Why, you aren't particularly old at any time, are you?' said Tackleton. "'Look at my sober, plodding husband there.' returned Dot. He adds twenty years to my age at least, don't you, John? Forty, John replied. How many you'll add to May's, I am sure I don't know, said Dot, laughing. But she can't be much less than a hundred years of age on her next birthday. Ha, <laughs> ha, laughed Tackleton. Hollow as a drum, that laugh, though. And he looked as if he could have twisted Dot's neck comfortably. 
dear dear said dot only to remember how we used to talk at school about the husbands we would choose i don't know how young and how handsome and how gay and how lively mine was not to be and as to may's ah oh dear i don't know whether to laugh or cry when i think what silly girls we were may seemed to know which to do for the colour flashed into her face and tears stood in her eyes even the very persons themselves real live young men we fixed on sometimes said dot we little thought how things would come about i never fixed on john i'm sure i never so much as thought of him and if i had told you you were ever to be married to mr tackleton why you'd have slapped me wouldn't you may though may didn't say yes she certainly didn't say no or express no by any means tackleton laughed quite shouted he laughed so loud john peerybingle laughed too in his ordinary good-natured and contented manner but his was a mere whisper of a laugh to tackleton's you couldn't help yourselves for all that you couldn't resist us you see said tackleton here we are here we are where are your gay young bridegrooms now some of them are dead said dot and some of them forgotten some of them if they could stand among us at this moment would not believe we were the same creatures would not believe that what they saw and heard was real and we could forget them so no they would not believe one word of it why dot exclaimed the carrier little woman she had spoken with such earnestness and fire that she stood in need of some recalling to herself without doubt her husband's check was very gentle for he merely interfered as he supposed to shield old tackleton but it proved effectual for she stopped and said no more there was an uncommon agitation even in her silence which the wary tackleton who had brought his half-shut eye to bear upon her noted closely and remembered to some purpose too as you'll see may uttered no word good or bad but sat quite still with her eyes cast down and made no sign of interest in what had passed the good lady her mother now interposed observing in the first instance that girls were girls and bygones bygones and that so long as young people were young and thoughtless they would probably conduct themselves like young and thoughtless persons with two or three other positions of a no less sound and incontrovertible character she then remarked in a devout spirit that she thanked heaven she had always found in her daughter may a dutiful and obedient child for which she took no credit to herself though she had every reason to believe it was entirely owing to herself with regard to mr tackleton she said that he was in a moral point of view an undeniable individual and that he was in an eligible point of view a son-in-law to be desired no one in their senses could doubt she was very emphatic here with regard to the family into which he was so soon about after some solicitation to be admitted she believed mr tackleton knew that although reduced in purse it had some pretensions to gentility and that if certain circumstances not wholly unconnected she would go so far as to say 
with the indigo trade but to which she would not more particularly refer had happened differently it might perhaps have been in possession of wealth she then remarked that she would not allude to the past and would not mention that her daughter had for some time rejected the suit of mr tackleton and that she would not say a great many other things which she did say at great length finally she delivered it as the general result of her observation and experience that those marriages in which there was least of what was romantically and sillily called love were always the happiest and that she anticipated the greatest possible amount of bliss not rapturous bliss but the solid steady-going article from the approaching nuptials she concluded by informing the company that to-morrow was the day she had lived for expressly and that when it was over she would desire nothing better than to be packed up and disposed of in any genteel place of burial as these remarks were quite unanswerable which is the happy property of all remarks that are sufficiently wide of the purpose they changed the current of the conversation and diverted the general attention to the veal and ham pie the cold mutton the potatoes and the tart in order that the bottled beer might not be slighted john peerybingle proposed to-morrow the wedding-day and called upon them to drink a bumper to it before he proceeded on his journey for you ought to know that he only rested there and gave the old horse a bait he had to go some four or five miles farther on and when he returned in the evening he called for dot and took another rest on his way home this was the order of the day on all the picnic occasions and had been ever since their institution there were two persons present besides the bride and bridegroom-elect who did but indifferent honour to the toast one of these was dot too flushed and discomposed to adapt herself to any small occurrence of the moment the other bertha who rose up hurriedly before the rest and left the table good-bye said stout john peerybingle pulling on his dreadnought coat i shall be back at the old time good-bye all good-bye john returned caleb he seemed to say it by rote and to wave his hand in the same unconscious manner for he stood observing bertha with an anxious wondering face that never altered its expression good-bye young shaver said the jolly carrier bending down to kiss the child which tilly slowboy now intent upon her knife and fork had deposited to sleep and strange to say without damage in a little cot of bertha's furnishing good-bye time will come i suppose when you'll turn out into the cold my little friend and leave your old father to enjoy his pipe and his rheumatics in the chimney-corner eh where's dot i'm here john she said starting come come returned the carrier clapping his sounding hands where's the pipe i quite forgot the pipe john forgot the pipe was such a wonder ever heard of she forgot the pipe i'll i'll fill it directly it's soon done but it was not so soon done either it lay in the usual place the carrier's dreadnought pocket with the little pouch her own work from which she was used to fill it 
but her hand shook so that she entangled it and yet her hand was small enough to have come out easily i am sure and bungled terribly the filling of the pipe and lighting it those little offices in which i have commended her discretion if you recollect were vilely done from first to last during the whole process tackleton stood looking on maliciously with the half-closed eye which whenever it met hers or caught it for it can hardly be said to have ever met another eye rather being a kind of trap to snatch it up augmented her confusion in a most remarkable degree why what a clumsy dot you are this afternoon said john i could have done it better myself i verily believe with these good-natured words he strode away and presently was heard in company with boxer and the old horse and the cart making lively music down the road what time the dreamy caleb still stood watching his blind daughter with the same expression on his face End of part two of Chirp the Second.